welcome to the audiobook speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's speakeasy chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the Cutting Wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight has narrated over 300 audiobooks, is an accomplished film and TV actor, and has a coaching practice on the business side of audiobook narration. Emily Lawrence, thanks for joining me in the speakeasy tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you could make it. I know that uh, we had planned on doing this uh, at some time in the future because you were on a trip, but apparently the uh, the whole COVID-19 pandemic uh, cut your trip short. So uh, bad for you. Good for my audiobook speakeasy <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was on a, a three-month, or it was supposed to be three-month backpacking trip through Southeast Asia, um, but about six weeks in... Um, all of the borders suddenly closed and commercial flights all got canceled. And we actually spent the last two weeks of that six weeks stranded and trying to get a repatriation flight back home. So wow. I just got back in the country on Saturday. <laughs> wow. that uh, I'm sure that that was a stressful time for you and everybody else who was on the, on the trip. Yeah, I think I think it was worse for my family back home because they were very worried and, and they didn't know how okay we were. Like we, we kept telling them we were fine, but, you know, you can imagine the worst. I'm sure. So, yeah. um, it, it was definitely scary, but you know, at the end of the day, um, we got back, we're fine. And while we were there, we were like in hotels and you know, it's not like we were homeless or anything. So we were, we were fine. That's um, good. but yeah, it was definitely, uh, a little more adventure than I signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know if anybody who was on the trip either then or eventually came down with the virus? Uh, well, so far, it was just me and my husband, and so far, no. Um, we're on our fifth day back in the States and no symptoms, so. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many people you ran into along the way, but I also don't know, um, you know, given the location that you were in, what the likelihood was that it had already broken out in that area. Well, well it's hard to say. Uh, the first three weeks we were in Vietnam, um, and Vietnam was very careful about everything. Um, I mean, like, we were, like, in our final week in Vietnam, they they were, you know, making us sign health declarations everywhere we went. And there was one time where we, we took an overnight bus across a provincial border and they pulled us off the bus in the middle of the night and like, you know, interrogated us and wow. made us, you know, checked our temperatures and stuff. They were like, we were actually, by the time we left, I loved Vietnam. It was a wonderful experience being there. But by the time we left, we were like, okay, they're going a little overboard. Um, and then we went to Laos and, um, Laos had no confirmed cases at the time. Um, and everyone was pretty lackadaisical about everything it seemed. Mm. Um, and then, uh, about a week ago they had their, their, I guess maybe two weeks ago now, uh, they had their first confirmed case. Um, and there's a lot of like, maybe a, a lot of conjecture that they just weren't testing and that it, it was much more widespread than they mm -hmm. were claiming. Yeah. Um, but once they got their first case, they shut down everything real fast. And by the time we left, th there was a stay at home order and we weren't allowed to leave the hotel. So wow. everything changed really quickly. <laughs> it, it does seem from, from what I've read, it does seem like that's the key is to, um, lock everything down early and that will prevent everything from getting out of control. Like it's, uh, it's sort of gotten to here in places. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I will say that the countries in Southeast Asia that um, I visited and was watching carefully because we were planning to go there um, handle are handling everything much better than the United States. Yeah, no I doubt. Should say, I should say they're preventing an outbreak better than the United States. They're not. Um, they're also using it as an excuse to like consolidate their dicta- dictatorships, which sure. isn't great. Yeah. But, um, in terms of preventing spread of the virus, they're acing it. It's, yeah, so. it's, it's, yeah, it's working. So, well, that's good. I, I'm sorry you had to cut your trip short, but I'm glad it meant that you could come in here uh, to the speakeasy earlier. So this being a speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I'm drinking water. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Totally but, understand. Uh, um, I, I'm guessing that might have something to do with work. Uh, well, I mean, actually I, I'm, I don't really drink alcohol in general because of, of work, but, mm-hmm. um, I'm actually mostly just drinking water because we don't have anything else in the house. And um, <laughs> my husband is actually at the grocery store right now. We uh, we, we had rented our house on Airbnb um, while we were gone. And the people who rented actually were not supposed to leave until next week. And so they have very kindly allowed us to come back early. Um, but we were, they, they stayed in the house and we were in like a, a spare bedroom that ha- like with like a plastic sheet in the hall so that we wouldn't <laughs> infect them and everything. Yeah. And we've been living out of a cooler the last few days and they literally left five minutes ago. Wow. So I haven't had a chance to do anything <laughs> except sit here. No, I understand. And I can, I can imagine how that would uh, decrease the supplies that you had on hand. So uh, kudos to your husband for going out and getting supplies right now. Um, yeah. So I, I totally understand the water. And uh, you know, there have been plenty of people who have been here who uh, just have water, sparkling water, tea, other drinks. So me, I usually go for the cocktail. So tonight I'm having uh, something that I haven't had in quite a while, a uh, perfect martini, which uh, it's not my favorite drink in the world, but it's it's nice for a change. Um, various different recipes online, but I went with the, uh, two, the one-to-one gin to vermouth. And in the vermouth, it's one-to-one sweet vermouth and dry vermouth. So two parts gin, one part sweet vermouth, one part dry vermouth. Little orange bitters in there since I didn't have an orange rind for the traditional uh, garnish. But uh, it's it's nice for a change. So thank you so much for coming into the speakeasy. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> All right. So uh, So you are on the West Coast, I believe, at this point. Is that correct? Yes, Los Angeles, yeah. Did, did you grow up in that area, or uh, were you from somewhere else and transplanted? Actually, I grew up in New York, uh, and then I moved out here uh, right, I mean, the summer I graduated from college. Uh, and where was college? NYU, uh, Tisch. Oh, so you went to, uh, so you, you grew up in New York, and then uh, you went to school there, and then you said, I'm getting the hell out of here. Basically, yeah. Actually, my my plan was to stay in New York and do theater um, and be an actor, you know, for, for Broadway and off-Broadway and whatever. Um, and then in my very final semester of college, I did a film and TV acting program. Um, and I just decided that I enjoyed acting for camera more than I'd ever really enjoyed being on stage. And a couple months later, I moved out to Los Angeles. <laughs> That's interesting. So what did you, uh, so you were, you were doing, you said that you were doing a theater major? Yeah. And, and towards the very end, you discover something else, some other aspect of acting. So what was it about uh, film and, and TV acting that made you think, that's way more along the lines of what I want to do? Um, well, I think that um, film and TV acting is just more um, subtle by, by necessity of the medium, mm-hmm. um, because the camera is right, you know, 
in your face versus having to broadcast for a 500 seat audience, um, everything that you're feeling. And, uh, I don't know, it just felt, um, more natural for me. And I think that the, the largeness that theater requires was something that, um, maybe I struggled with or just, you know, didn't excel at possibly. Uh-huh. And it um, felt like the, uh, the big screen and small screen were were more along the lines of what you were uh, you were meant for. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I just throughout college had gotten a lot of feedback from my teachers, basically along the lines of that I was not <laughs> I don't know big enough or whatever or interesting enough or I don't I don't even really remember at this point. Um, and then just when I did that program, all of the feedback was suddenly different, and I realized, oh, this is something that feels more natural to me. That's great so. that, that you could get uh, feedback along the way and that that feedback from, you know, trusted individuals who hopefully knew what they were doing could uh, could kind of guide you in the right direction. Um, reminds me a lot of audiobook work and, uh, you know, yeah. finding the right coach to, to get your performance better. Um, I, I have heard that. The, the I've done very little film, but um, the one that I did and, and working with a coach who worked with both theater and stage and screen actors. Um, one of the things that he often said about working for the screen is that you really have to learn how to be small if what you're used to is, is stage. Yeah. And it, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's definitely different and you know, a lot of people can go easily back and forth between them. Um, I, I haven't actually done theater since college basically, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's kind of, I mean, just like how audiobooks are different from video games or different from mm-hmm. commercials and different areas of voiceover, each medium has kind of its own language. Yeah. Um, that, you know, and some people are going to have strengths in one and over the other, and some people are just going to, you know, be great at multiple things. And that's, it's just, it depends on your skill set. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool that you could get that feedback and find something that you like doing. Um, so anything major that people would know you from? For film and TV? Yeah. Um, well, so funny story, I moved out here to do film and TV, and then within my first year out here, I found audiobooks, and I haven't actually done much film and TV. <laughs> but, <laughs> Got it. Um, uh, I was on Switched at Birth, which was um, like an ABC Family, I guess Freeform now, TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've done some indie features and, um, you know, things like that. Not necessarily things people would know. Yeah, that that's pretty funny though how thing how that works out is like wow I found something I really want to do more now and then you end up finding something else that ends up working out. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. So like, so you got into audiobooks pretty quickly. So it sounds like you didn't do. Uh, it it seems that the people that I talk to, not just here but in general in voiceover, it seems like most people either do commercial voiceover and they think, well, maybe I should try audiobooks, or they go straight into audiobooks and never end up getting into a lot of other kinds of voiceover. It sounds like uh, if you found audiobooks fairly quickly after getting to LA, that you did not end up spending any time in the commercial VO scene. Yeah, I've I've never done really any voiceover other than audiobooks. Um, audiobooks were very specifically like something that I, uh, once it occurred to me to pursue, I just pursued that. Um, and, and it, it just fits me because I always love to read. And so, you know, combining reading and acting just seemed like the perfect fit for me. So I, I never really, um, you know, I, I think there was one point where I dabbled in, in taking lessons on commercial and I think that I have a voiceover demo, but I've never once like 
auditioned or yeah or, or done any commercial jobs or anything. Just not the direction you've gone yet. Um. Well, no. I mean, I had that demo made like three or four years ago, and I just never did anything with it. Yeah. Um. I, I don't know. I, I I think that I mean, commercial voiceover. There's a lot of money in that, but it's certainly not something that I would say I feel passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, there's also a lot of competition. I mean, there's a lot of competition in all voiceover genres, uh, various different types of competition. Uh, audiobooks definitely seem to be, in my experience, to be a, a fairly different kind of beast in the uh, in the VO world. But uh, definitely mm-hmm. a lot of stiff competition in the commercial world. Everybody and their brother thinks they can do it. So, uh, so there's a lot of people out there. Uh, but that's cool. So you found audiobooks, and, and it ended up working out. And this was only uh, what you've been doing audiobooks for how many years now? Um... I think actually around this time of year is the eight-year anniversary of my first audiobook. Eight years. All right. So that is quite a while, and you have well over 300 audiobooks. Not that many show up with your name, though. So do you use a pseudonym? I do, yeah. And is that something that you out uh, on your own, or is that something that you where you keep them totally separate? I always like to make sure that I know that before I uh, <laughs> before we get into a conversation. Um, I don't mind talking about it, but um, I, I'd rather not okay. add my pseudonym. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. Is it uh, primarily for romance, or is it for another reason? Um, romance. Yeah, yeah, that's very common. Um, and it, I, from the titles that I saw, it looks like you've worked for uh, several different fairly major publishers. Yeah, I've worked for um, almost everyone in terms of the the you know larger, more established publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, the only holds out, holdouts are Scholastic and Hachette. So if they're listening. <laughs> that, that's interesting, Scholastic, because uh, you have yeah. a fairly youthful voice. And I would think that... I know. Uh, I find it hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I would think that young adult would probably be something that you would... I mean, not having heard how you do a young adult, I don't know. But uh, I would I would assume that that would be something that would be fairly... Uh, oh, yeah. No, I do a wheelhouse. lot of young adult, for yeah. sure. Okay. Uh, young adult is is one of my favorite genres to work in and one of the genres I do the most. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a really great relationship with a lot of the producers at Scholastic. And by a lot, I mean Paul Gagne, who's wonderful. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I don't know. Just nothing's ever come up. So, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens as long as you've already got the track record for young adult. Probably will at some point. Um, yeah. And, and so what do you, what do you like uh, narrating the most? Um, well, I, my favorites are young adult, uh, literary fiction and sci-fi fantasy. Oh, sci-fi fantasy. Those are, yeah, those are my three favorites, both, both to narrate and listen to. Cool. Uh, what about nonfiction? You do any nonfiction? Um, I would love to do more nonfiction. I think, um, unfortunately because of the nature of my voice, the the nonfiction I've done has mostly been like children's nonfiction Mm. or... Um, I've done a couple self-help books, um, but like I am very passionate about a lot of social sciences and history, and um, I actually minored in sociology in college, and I'm married to an archaeologist. Oh wow! <laughs> so I, you know, I would love to narrate stuff in in that vein, but um, mostly people who sound much more mature than I do <laughs> get to narrate that stuff. Yeah, well, you never know. I mean, there's a there's a place for every voice um, out yeah. there. So that that's really cool that you have a lot of interest. So not to go too far down that rabbit hole, but was part of your uh, three month backpacking trek through Southeast Asia having to do with archaeology? Only in so far as we were, you know, hoping to visit ruins and you know are curious and interested in the cultures there. 
um, there was not a professional reason for us to be there. Uh, I was thinking, boy, too bad. Get to take a three-month vacation, but then you have to work a little in something that you love to do. I'll bet your husband would have been happy with that. Well, I mean, I think he would have been thrilled. Uh, he would be thrilled to, you know, be hired to do archaeology um, like that and then for us to travel as a result. But um, no, this was just a, just a backpacking. It was actually meant to be our honeymoon, but it's two and a half years after the wedding. So. <laughs> <laughs> that um, happens. I know people who have gone a lot longer than that before our honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we both just, um, we both love to travel and we, um, travel was a huge part of our lives before we met each other. And then the realities of being an adult and, you know, paying the bills and whatever just meant that we never really got to do that together. And so, um, we just decided, Hey, let's take three months and you know, go do it. Yeah, no, that's cool. Like I said, I, I know plenty of people that's happened to. Um, so it sounds like you do quite a few different things in audiobooks, like to do a few other things. Anything that you won't do? The only thing I've ever turned down because of um, I objected to the content was that I, I was actually approached to narrate a um, po- post-apocalyptic series in which the, it, it was basically like that, like the Jews and the gays had ruined the world and the neo-Nazis were the heroes who saved the day. Uh, um, and I'm Jewish. So I was horrified. I mean, hopefully anyone would be horrified by this, but I was especially horrified. And so that's the only thing that I was like, no, I cannot. No. Yeah. That's um, always interesting <laughs> when you get an author who, who takes a fiction genre, but is clearly uh, pushing an agenda. Yeah. Um, this person had an agenda for sure. I don't know if they knew I was Jewish. I'm just going to assume not, or they probably wouldn't have hired me or wanted to hire me rather. But, um, but yeah, at first I, I was just to be polite. I, I was like, okay, fine. Here, here is a ridiculous amount of money that like I would charge and just assuming they would say no and it would be a polite way to turn them down. And then they agreed to the ridiculous amount of money, Yikes. which was like, you know, three times as much as I'd ever made in an audiobook, And like, you know, it's not like I was charging subpar rates or anything, you right. know? So, um, I actually like had a moment where I was like, fuck, like, do I need to take this job? Yeah, <laughs> like no it was kidding. enough money that it, it would have made, it was just a few years ago and it would have made like a substantial difference in my life at the time. Sure. But I still was just like, I couldn't live with myself. So I turned it down. Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, there are things that I'm less interested in narrating. And as I move forward in my career, um, I, I do curate my projects more just based on, you know, I only have so much time in my schedule. What am I most interested in? Mm -hmm. Um, but other than that, other, other than things that are like racist or like, you know, just things that in that vein that are so far awful that I couldn't do, um, other than that, there's nothing that I would really object to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, I could certainly see objecting to that. <laughs> yeah, Jewish or not. Uh, so I assume that uh, at this point you are only recording at home, given the current situation. Have you been recording at home uh, primarily, or have you been primarily recording in studios prior to our current lockdown status? Um, I have recorded in studios, but almost everything has been in my home studio. Mm, okay. And is um, that, um, what kind of studio yeah. do you have? Is it a, uh, pre-made or did you build it yourself? It's a vocal booth. Oh yeah. Yeah. No vocal booth. 
Yeah. Cool. So, uh, so what's the uh, aside from having people stay in your house as an Airbnb? What's the uh, recording situation like there in terms of other people in the house? Just you and your husband. You have any kids? You have uh, anybody else living in the house that makes it difficult to record? Um, well, I live with my husband, and uh, generally, under normal circumstances, when I record, he's gone. Um, so I have the house to myself. Um, and I used to live, um, right near the Burbank airport and would, you know, like have planes all the time and that sucked. Um, but then like two years ago we bought a house in Santa Clarita and it's super quiet and, um, I never have any trouble. And in regards to like my, when my husband is home, because there was a time in our relationship when he was, he went back to school. Um, and so he was home all the time. Um, but he's always been wonderfully respectful and supportive and like tiptoes around and is never ever a problem that's great um problems usually back when i was in an apartment it was always like my neighbors or you know people wanting to vacuum or yeah or kids next door or kids next door playing basketball in the house sure yeah, yeah, no. Well, that that sounds like a good uh, good situation then. Uh, it's nice to have yeah. spouses who understand the nature of the work. I know that people with kids, it's a little more difficult because even if they understand, uh, I think it's it's hard for them to really understand, and it's hard for them to, uh, you know, avoid doing stuff anyway. Sure. Yeah. No, I could totally see that. I it is a struggle that I can't say I'm really looking forward to, but I'll get there eventually. <laughs> Uh, well, yep, you might. And, and then you'll, you'll find out as you go, like most people do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that's cool. sounds like it's a, it's a good recording environment though. Um, I know that you also coach audiobook narrators. Tell me about your coaching practice. Um, yeah, so I do business coaching. I, I think most of my clients, um, are, uh, looking to, um, Sorry, my husband just got home and I'm distracted now. Oh, he's um, got all the groceries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> most of my clients um, are uh, newer narrators who are looking to, um, they they started on ACX and they're, they're trying to go full time or they're trying to work with publishers or trying to uh, just get to a more um, a st- a stable or satisfying part of their career. Um, but I've also worked with uh, more advanced narrators who are struggling with uh, workflow and scheduling and um, finances and things of that nature. I, I'm not really a, a certified vocal coach, but I uh, have helped people um, identify certain vocal health problems. Mm. Um, and I think that's the the main gist of it. Uh, so, so you mentioned business new- topics. You mentioned newer narrators who are starting out on ACX. When you started eight years ago, did you start on ACX? I did, actually. I um, I started on ACX, and I stayed on ACX only for years before um, I ever pursued publishers. Hmm. Um, and that was, I, that was back when ACX was fairly new. I think they'd only been out for a couple of years, eight years ago. Yeah, I think uh, I think they, is 2011 when yeah, they started. yeah. Yeah, wow. so the, it had been around for about a year at that point. Um, yeah, so I, I got in sort of towards the beginning, and and I, you know, within six months of starting, it was my full time job, and I was doing it nonstop, and I was uh, always just busy, and so it I, I it took me a long time to sort of occur to me that there was a larger 
audiobook industry. I had no idea what the APA was. I didn't think to look for groups on Facebook. Um, I sort of did the whole thing like in a vacuum. Mm. And honestly, when 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 like new narrators come now and the advice that everyone gives them, like, don't do this. I probably did every one of those things that you're not, <laughs> you shouldn't do. And I can tell you why you shouldn't do them because I did it. Um, right. So I kind of stumbled my way through for like through it, but I, you know, I was making a living and I was doing it full time and my schedule was always packed. And it was just after a few years, I got, um, I, I just needed this sounds terrible. I, I, it, I wasn't feeling artistically fulfilled mm-hmm. by the quality of books that I was narrating. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to try to pursue publishers. And um, I uh, found out what the APA was. And I went to my first event. And then I got connected with people on Facebook. I went to my first APAC. And within a year of my first APA event... Um, I, I had gone from all audio, all indie clients to uh, basically being with publishers full time. So that's great. That's so so that's uh, clearly speaks to the fact that when you are coaching people on the business side, you've been through a lot of what they're probably going through or are about to go through, and uh, and you can offer advice based on personal experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do think that ACX has changed over the years, um, but. My my transition to publishers was fairly recent. I did that in in 2016 to 2017 is mm-hmm. like the year when I switched to publishers. So so that knowledge is still very much relevant. Um, I I'm not on ACX anymore. So and I never really did royalty share or anything like that. I was always just per finished hour because back then there was more enough per finished hour work to sustain. That. Yeah, that was. I was actually um, going to ask you about that. Is whether or not you yeah. did a lot of royalty share at the beginning. I did, um, I think I want to say like 30 to 40, uh, royalty shares. Um, they were all stipends mostly though, back when ACX uh, had stipends. Yeah. Back and then the once day. the stipend stopped, I stopped doing royalty share because, um, even with, I mean, like, I know that there are people who, who hit royalty share gold and I've definitely had titles that have sold very well, but I also had titles that, you know, ACX's algorithm picked a stipend for, but then you know, so ACX thought it was going to do well and then it didn't. And I just kind of figured it wasn't worth the risk yeah. when I can get, you know, a, a, my finished hour rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I haven't ever since the, the stipend program stopped, which I think was, I think it was in 2016. Um, I haven't done royalty share since. Wow. It might've been that long ago. I was thinking it more, it was more like a couple of years ago, but you know, now that you say that, I think you're probably right. It probably was 16 or 17. It hasn't, yeah, I, think, I haven't seen any of those for a last, while. I think my last royalty share was like December 2016. So maybe it was early 2017 mm-hmm. that it stopped. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was a while ago. But even back then, so when you were starting out, you weren't just doing royalty share. You were doing per finished hour as well. So you said that you, you think that ACX has changed quite a bit. Uh, how, would, how would you um, describe that change in more detail? Uh, I think that, I mean... The the, sti- the lack of stipends is obviously a big change. Um, I I also think that there's, I mean, the last time I was on there, there there just wasn't enough um, people who were posting per finished hour rates mm-hmm. uh, that are decent, you know, like SAG scale rates. Um, and like it's, you, you know, more and more people are on there now. So it's like you have, you know, thousands of people competing for that the same like six titles. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I used to, I, I would occasionally go to Amazon and, and meet authors or whatever and bring them to ACX, but mostly I could just audition on ACX and make a living that way. And that I don't think is the case anymore. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I, I was curious to see what your perception was. And it sounds like it's, uh, sounds about the way that I look at it. Um, initially I would say that I think that ACX has, ACX has changed and not for the better. And yet that sounds more negative than I mean it to. I, I think that it has changed in predictable ways for a business. Um, and, and in saying that, what I'm thinking of specifically is something like the stipend program. So they did that for several years and then they stopped doing mm -hmm. it. And I'm sure that the re the reason that they offered stipends was to make titles more attractive and to make the titles more attractive, yeah. they'd have more people auditioning. You have more people auditioning. There's more buzz. There's more interest. You get the, the rights holder can pick hopefully a better narrator for the project than might have auditioned otherwise. And that gives Amazon slash Audible more content, which is what they were always going for. Once they get that engine ramped up, from a business perspective, I think it makes perfect sense to get rid of the stipend program once you have, you know, more narrators in the mix and more people interested in the project. Um, you know, at, at that point, Audible can easily say, well, we don't need to expend extra money to have the same payoff. So it seems to me that it has been in um, fairly predict and the, the latest thing with the, um, the, not the bounties, well, the bounties as well, but the... Uh, the codes. Promo code. Yeah. Pro they the also used to do, um, if you were an Audible approved producer, there would be projects that only Audible approved producers could oh, audition right. for that, that sometimes AC ACX itself would be producing. Yeah. And that, that ended years ago. Yeah. There, there's been a lot of changes over the years. I think, honestly, um, it, it makes, I agree with you. I think the reason the stipends existed was to entice narrators who had always been paid you know, per finished hour to try royalty share and be convinced that that was a good investment of their time. Mm -hmm. And once it was proven that it was, they didn't, didn't need it anymore. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that all of the changes ACX has made have made sense. Um, it just does make it harder, I think, for narrators to uh, make a living on ACX only. Yeah. To um, totally but it's agree. still possible. I mean, People do it all the time. You just have to be a lot more proactive in getting clients elsewhere and bringing them to ACX and other platforms. Right, right. Not just relying on what somebody has already posted on ACX, but getting other people there who you have personal contact with. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it just seems to me that from a business perspective, looking at it from the other side of the glass, not the, not with my narrator glasses on, but from the, the business perspective, it seems to make sense. But it absolutely, I think, has made it more difficult for, uh, for narrators who are just starting out. It, I think that it, it still seems just as enticing, but then I think that there are a lot of people who are um, – easily dismayed fairly early on about how things are going. And so I see comments online frequently now about um, you cannot expect to make a living just on ACX, or you at least you should not. Not to say it can't happen. I mean, who knows, maybe Stephen King's going to post his next novel <laughs> as a royalty share. But um, but uh, for the most part, it's, it's much more difficult, I think. I think there are, I mean, I, I do know people who do make their living through ACX projects. Um, I mean, I have, I have clients who they're full-time narrators, they're making their living on ACX and they just want to, you know, move on to working with publishers. So it, it is definitely still possible. Mm -hmm. 
uh, but again, it just, it requires you to be proactive or to just get a lot of referrals from, you know, people you've worked with. And uh, it, it, it just is a different business model than it was when, when I started. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, and I know people who, you know, they'll post how many, how many, how many tens of thousands of, um, sales they've had through ACX. And I've only had, I mean, I've been doing this for five years and I've only got like 2000 because I picked some titles that didn't sell well. And because I don't do all Mm -hmm. that much royalty share, but, um, there are people who I know who have made, uh, a great living just off of royalty share. So I, so I know it's possible. I just think that it's a lot more difficult than it was initially. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are absolutely people who, um, hit royalty share gold. Um, then, you know, those, those titles do come along and there are definitely ways to identify them. Um, I, I think that, you know, back when the stipend program existed, you didn't really have to be so picky because you were making, you know, half of your per finished hour rate from the stipend right, right. Um, and then the, the ability to make it up through royalty share it was just a lot easier mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah I mean it's definitely possible to pick really great royalty shares that that will pay for themselves um, but it's 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 a risk yeah some are more riskier than others but so on your uh, business coaching do you focus uh, how much do you focus on ACX versus publishers do you do you talk a lot to people about how to work the ACX system do, or do you primarily focus on how to get off of ACX and work with publishers what's what's your I, primary I, focus I would say my primary focus is how to get off of ACX mm-hmm. now part of how to get off of ACX is how to use ACX so that you can get off. <laughs> um, right. so there, there is a stage in which kind of ACX is the option and you utilize it the best that you can in order to um, build a portfolio that will allow you to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, most, mostly I work with people who, who are trying to get away from it and work with publishers um, just because uh, I think that if if you, if you want to work with independent authors and and that's where you want to be, I I think that you know I could help someone do that too. It's really, really the same thing in terms of like you know how to find the jobs that you want to be doing. Um, but I think that there is just more longevity and stability in working with publishers. Um, and I mean, it, it's just uh, personally one of the reasons that I wanted to work with publishers. Um, in addition to just wanting to do different kinds of content, um, is I got tired of like justifying my worth to authors <laughs> and I really don't miss having to negotiate all the time. Yeah. With, um, all, with, with rights holders coming back and saying, you charge what? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean like, you know, I, I, I had one author who we actually parted ways very bitterly because, um, I, I raised my rates on her. Um, this is actually, this was something that I, I kept, I kept working with after I moved on with publishers. Um, and she was just like a client from previously. And, uh, and I, I think I got married and I bought a house and I was like, look, my expenses are higher. I just need to charge more. And she was like totally incensed at me that I was raising my rates and like accused me of, you know, stealing from her. And I was just like, this is not, wow. This is why I have a union to negotiate for me. <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds pretty harsh. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, uh, so do you have a, for your coaching, do you have like a, a, a set course that everyone goes through? Is it more personalized depending on where people are? I try to meet everyone where they're at and focus specifically on what is most relevant to them. Um, I don't have a set curriculum, but I mean, a lot of it ends up being similar because a lot of people have similar concerns, but I think that each person is individual. I don't think that there is one size fits all solution um, or one way to build a business. I think that um, my business is different than yours, is different from anyone else's, Mm -hmm. and I'm not interested in helping anyone, you know, mimic or recreate something I've done. I want to help them build something that inspires them and, you know, that help them create the business and life that they want to be living um, the best that I can. And I think that that's a very individual thing for everyone. Yeah. No, that that sounds great. Um, Sounds great. So when you're not narrating, when you're not coaching and and you're not trekking through Southeast Asia, what are you doing? (laughs) Um, I also, uh, I write, um, for TV and film, um, sometimes, um, I LARP, which you probably don't know what that is, so I can explain. <laughs> no, please do. I actually know that acronym, but, but go right ahead. Okay. <laughs> Most people don't. Um, uh, so LARP stands for live action role play. It's, um, for anyone out there listening, uh, familiar with, Tabletop games um, like Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's similar to that, only instead of um, like sitting around and talking about what your characters are doing, you actually role-play and act it all out in person with people. So it's kind of like uh, for people who are not at all familiar with with you know video games or role-playing games, it's kind of like if you were. Um, it's like an interactive, immersive theater experience without an audience. <laughs> so is that something that your husband does too? Or is that one of those things where he says, no, honey, you go right ahead. That's actually how we met. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So you've got a, you've got a common activity. Yeah. It's, we, we met, he was playing, um, uh, basically Cardinal Richelieu from the three Musketeers. And I was playing a ninja assassin and we bonded. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> that is very cool. That's gotta be one of the most unique stories I've heard about people getting together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, we're, we're both very into it. We've actually run several LARPs together in Southern California and, um, yeah. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, so since you, what you were doing recently was a, a three month backpacking trip is, is, um, outdoor activity like that, like serious outdoor away from everybody backpacking type stuff. Is that something that you've done for a long time? Um, well, I, I did some traveling while I was in college. Um, I, I traveled through Europe, um, for about a year, um, and uh, I haven't been able to do much like that since moving to L.A. Um, I, we, we drove cross-country twice um, and spent like a month the first time and then like I think only two weeks the second time. Um, so it's not something I do regularly, but uh, it is definitely something I enjoy. And um, I think that uh, one of the things that I've been focusing on in my own business lately is... Um, shifting my focus to be less on business actually mm, yeah. <laughs> and making room in my life for the things that, um, the other things that I am passionate about, um, work life balance. and travel is one of those things. 
So that was part of, part of this trip was, um, we actually initially were going to go for six months and then we were kind of like, well, we do still want to have jobs when we come back. (laughs) I want to make sure those publishers that I've got relationships now actually know who I am when I come back. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so, um, so yeah, I mean, I would love to do more travel in the future. Um, and we do plan on doing more. It's, it's something that was, um, is definitely important to both of us. But time and opportunity have not always been there. Yeah, no, understand. Um, that's that's sounds great, though. I mean, it sounds like, uh, you know, having more of a focus on the work-life balance is a good thing. And I know that a lot of us, myself included, get to that point at some place, at, at some point where you're thinking, okay, this is going okay, but I'm spending all my time thinking about this and trying to do things and doing some things and not doing others correctly or well or whatever, but I'm spending all of my time on this and... At some point, it, it becomes much more important to recognize um, it's instead of this being good for my life, it's actually being bad for my life. And not just in the audiobook narration, but I think a lot of people in entrepreneurial roles end up at that place at some point. And um, so it's always good to take stock. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's been a big focus for me for the last six months, at least. Um, I think... Uh, I, I, I love my career. I love my job. I'm very, very happy. And I, I honestly wake up every day grateful to do what I do. But I also think that I fell into the trap of allowing myself to be um, defined by things and in ways that I wasn't choosing for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and just giving into forms of external validation that like just became too important to me. Um, and, and the things that were just kind of, so like, you know, I, my dad's a businessman. I kind of got my business sense from him. Um, the business side of things has not been something that I've ever really struggled with. And so it it was just easy to focus on that as a way of, of saying like that I'm successful and I'm doing things right. Like, look at how much money I'm making, how many books I'm doing, how many publishers I've worked for, just like these easily quantifiable things. Mm-hmm. and. Um, and at some point I was just, it it just started to feel like I was stuck in this hamster wheel of constantly having to prove myself to myself. So I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, okay, well, what do I actually care about? Like, I don't actually, um, need as much money as I make. If I made less money, but I did and did fewer titles, but there were ones that I cared about more, I would probably be happier. And so I'm, I'm for myself working on a, a shift in my own business that is geared more towards the things that will make me happier. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And and I get the fact that, you know, different people have different needs and whatever the financial needs are, maybe somebody does have to go through a period where that's really all they're doing and they're they're oh, ha- totally. having to define, um, you know, who they are temporarily based on those external factors. But, um, but it is always good to take stock and recognize where you're at and um, maybe shift things based on what you find. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there is absolutely, I mean, look, I, I, I'm certainly not, I understand that the, what I just said comes from a very privileged point of view that I am in a point in my career where I can say like, yeah, I don't need to take on as many books for a long time. That was not the case. So I totally understand that for many people, you just need to take whatever comes your way. And I have narrated, you know, I feel like I've, I've done my time in that regard. I've narrated many books that I, you know, had to try not to gouge my eyes out to get through. <laughs> um, so like I've been there and I get it. And, you know, I've taken 
projects that like I couldn't stand just to pay the bills. Um, and so, sometimes that's just what you have to do. And if that's the part of your career that you're in, there is absolutely zero shame in that. Yep. Totally um, agree. Totally I'm, agree. I, I'm sure there are many people who would even love to have the opportunity to hate the book that they're narrating. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, there's many stages in this career. I just think that no matter what stage you're at, whether you're in the stage where you need to hustle and you need to take whatever comes your way or, or whatever, um, it just, my advice would be to not let that remember that that's temporary and not let that have you lose sight of your true goals. Yeah. Cause for me, I got, I got caught in the hustle and I like, by the time that I no longer needed those things, I was still afraid to let them go because it was how I had like survived and defined myself for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, you know, I think it's healthy in general in your business to periodically reassess in business and in life um, and look back and reflect on whether you're really where you want to be. And if there's something else you want, how you can make that shift mm-hmm. to to where you'd rather be heading. Yeah, no, I to- totally agree. Um, always stopping and taking stock is a good thing and recognize where you're at and why you're there. I've, I've had to do that several times myself and um, recognize this isn't exactly where I want to be, but I'm doing the right things and this is going to work out and, uh, and it's all working out okay for me. It sounds like it's working out great for you. Yeah, I think so. So, so that, is, that is very good advice right there. What else, what, what other uh, words of wisdom might you have for, uh, for narrators out there? Um, I know that you, you focus on the business coaching, but clearly you're a performer as well. So uh, if you have any performance tips for people um, based on what you've learned after doing a, an acting course in college and then spending a lot of time and doing a lot of audiobooks, Clearly, you've you've built up a lot of um, performance base. So, um, you have any words of wisdom in that regard? Um, and if not, that's fine too. <laughs> There's a reason <laughs> why I don't do performance coaching. Um, <laughs> yeah, I that think... that reminds me of somebody who is very well known in the narrator community, saying that uh, at one point uh, he he got up and he was doing some sort of. Um, live kind of performance thing. And, and when he realized that he was not going to be doing performance coaching was when somebody got up and, and read something and he said, he, he stepped back and he thought for a second, he said, I got nothing. And, uh, (laughs) so it's, uh, some, sometimes that's, that's not the forte and that's fine. That's fine. Well, so I have, I mean, I have a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts about it. Um, uh, generally though, I feel like performance acting is so individual. Um, and, uh, like I know, I mean, with on camera acting, I had many, many, many acting teachers who I just did not agree with how they saw things. And it, you know, it took a long time for me to find someone who spoke my language in that regard. And I think it's the same in audiobooks. Um, I think that it's good to learn from many different teachers and um, just because they are 
worth, you know, experienced and, and worth your respect and your time. Uh, doesn't mean they're necessarily right or that they know you <laughs> and your work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that finding the things that resonate with you um, and that make sense to you and, and help you uh, is, is better than, than letting people, um, dictate to you what you should be doing. I I don't know if that makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. I I think that's quotable right there. Uh, it's good to learn from many different teachers. Um, and I, I think that it's easy and and it was for me for a while to get locked into, look, I found this person who is great and I connect with this person and so I'm going to go to them for coaching. And I, I have had some brilliant coaches in my relatively short career. Um, but that, that doesn't mean that you might not connect with somebody else. That doesn't mean that you couldn't go to a different coach who would tell you something quite different from the first coach. And you could do it differently and find out, hey, that works too. Or that works better. Or that works, but not quite as well. Um, so I, I think it is very true that there are, uh, you know, everybody's got a different approach and people click with different people for different reasons. Um, so I think that, you know, it's good to learn from many different teachers is, uh, is really good advice. Yeah. I also think it's important to, um, to stay true to yourself. So, you know, if you go to a coach who says to you, like, you should be narrating this genre and you're like, I hate that genre, then don't listen to that coach, mm-hmm. you know? Um, just because, just because then they, there may be right that if you liked that genre, you could work in it, but that doesn't mean you have to, yeah. uh, just, you know, m- make your own choices for your, for your own career based on your own passions and interests and not just because somebody tells you, Hey, you'd be good at this. Yep. No, I, I love that too. That that's been true for me as well. Um, you know, there are things that, uh, I could do that I, that I don't want to. And so, um, yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Well, that's very cool. So, so Emily, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to say hi, if they want to uh, inquire about your uh, your business coaching, where can they find you online? I am pretty easy to find, I think. Um, well, my website is emilylawrence.com. I have a, a page on my coaching there as well as a page on my audiobooks. Um, I'm also easily found on Facebook. I'm in the... Um, the indie Facebook group and various narrator, professional narrators and various groups. Um, and I'm your, also on Twitter. And your, your last name, spelling of your last name. L A W R E N C E. Just wanted to make sure since there are multiples. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm also on Twitter, but less active there and I haven't checked my Instagram and in who knows how long, but I'm technically there also on <laughs> LinkedIn. So, um, I have a a hard time with, I have a hard time remembering to use Instagram. I like Instagram, but I have a hard time remembering to do it. So, well, you know, I don't take pictures. So Mm -hmm. yeah, that's my problem as well. I don't, I'm just, I don't normally have my camera out taking or my phone out taking pictures. And so I, it just doesn't occur to me. And then all of a sudden a week has gone by and I think, Oh, I should post something. And so it's usually cocktails, but, um, Regardless, it's just one of those <laughs> things where uh, it's just not the kind of thing that I think about. So I totally understand that. Yeah, I think I think the the selfie gene skipped me. I, I don't know, <laughs> it's just not 
I understand why other people really like it. And I definitely do do it sometimes. I mean, you know, if I'm like dressed up or, or it feels like an important moment or whatever, but sure, yeah. you know, most of the time when I'm like chilling in my pajamas and I'm in my <laughs> or whatever, it, it doesn't occur to me to take out my phone and snap a photo. So. Yeah. I mean, when you're standing <laughs> after a while, I kind of gave up on Instagram just cause I, I never had, uh, I think for a long time, um, when I first moved to LA, I did some some like modeling shoots, and I never posted those really online. Uh -huh. And so years later, I was like, "Hey, I'll just start posting these pictures on Instagram." And then I ran out of those, and I <laughs> so then it stopped. Posted this. Where, whereas, if you're standing next to Cardinal Richelieu, I can imagine that, hey, this is a good selfie time. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, even honestly, even when we're out, like I, we don't even really take pictures. Um, I don't know. I just I'm. I, I try to be like where I am and invested in the moment and, and I, I, it just doesn't occur to me to take my phone out and take a picture. Yeah. Um, yeah and I, then sometimes I, I later I wish that I had, but you know, I, I usually do when we go on vacation, I usually come home thinking, Oh, that was a good picture. That was a good picture. Didn't we do more than this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I get it. I get it. Well, that that's great, Emily. Thank you so much for coming into the speakeasy. I'm sorry that your trip got cut short, but um, I'm glad that we could do this uh, sooner than we had planned initially. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on it. I enjoyed talking to you. My pleasure. Next time you'll have to have a, well, no, you won't have to have a real drink since you don't drink normally, but we'll, <laughs> uh, we'll have to do a drink sometime in person. I'm sorry we can't uh, get together at APAC this year. Uh, yeah. Hopefully next year. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully. All right. Thanks a lot, Emily. I will talk to you around. Okay. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Emily Lawrence for stopping by just a few minutes after she got her house back. I really enjoyed hearing about Emily's narration journey and her business coaching, not to mention her LARPing adventures, and I hope you did too. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge. They're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the audiobook speakeasy. As always, you can find the audiobook speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from Apple Podcasts. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com, where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated, and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. Special thanks this week to Len DVO, who left a very kind five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Len, I'm very happy you feel like the podcast has added value to the community and to your own process. Cheers to you. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the speakeasy. Until we see you here in the speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers! Cheers!